0: Share Gun at Kinwaleola showed me that the developing of self can come from deep within and doesn't always need to be in the book, the podcast or the course. Where he grew up, one of his biggest fears was getting stabbed, which has made him fearless in the business world. In his early career, he would never be afraid of approaching a CEO because the only difference he saw between himself and them was their experience. Paving the way in the FMCG market as one of the few black founders, he has found a solution to a problem he was having and with the success of his own product, the gym kitchen, he is helping other black founders get their products on the shelves. Shergun is grounded, secure and inspirational and he finds his inspiration from people around him and also from completely unrelated activities outside of the business world. If you have a business idea itch and not sure whether to start it, Sharegun's journey will get you excited to just get going. Welcome to another episode of the Anything Is Possible podcast. Not that I like to take the series over with all the things I like, but in the last 12 months, I have discovered the most amazing brand called The Gym Kitchen. And today I'm with its founder, Shagan Akinwaliola. So Shagan, before we begin, um, you founded in 2016, but the story for Gym Kitchen began 2020, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So as a frustrated gym goer, um, before I was even a frustrated gym goer, I trademarked the name The Gym Kitchen because I grew up and I've always wanted to launch my own business and kind of do something of my own. So, um, yeah, I had trademarked the name 2016, but it was 2017, 2018, where I was stood at a supermarket fixture and just couldn't understand why healthy eating wasn't available, accessible, affordable, but really wasn't in mainstream retail. and Prior to that, my background was always selling products to retailers. So I'd worked in different commercial um, companies uh, like uh, the FMCG companies like Revlon, Coty, John Frieda, selling products to retailers like Boots, Tesco, Morrisons, et cetera. So I kind of knew how to sell products. It was more the manufacturing side. So like I mentioned, so I went on this long journey of creating some products, um, kind of almost Creating a new category of products as well, because what you could see within the supermarket was that actually there were like three different areas that was growing massively. So there was the um, sports nutrition side. Uh, back in the day, you had to get like protein powder and all that kind of stuff off of some dodgy website from America and hope that it would arrive. But yeah. now you've got these retailers actually building fixtures for them. So that was cool. Then it was like the meal prep and the scratch cooking people both buying on chicken breast and broccoli and brown rice doing that on a sunday evening but you go actually that who wants to do that some people love it some people don't they just do it because that's the only way they feel that they can live and you know kind of weight loss but then there was also the quick serve restaurants kind of almost like emergence you know you look at leon protein house Itsu, all of those kind of um, areas uh, where customers almost leave in the supermarket fixture to go to them they've done a bit of a 180 now and obviously come back into supermarkets. But really interesting from those, that's it. So for me, it was almost like, oh, if you put those three categories together, there is clearly an opportunity for a brand that could hit the right credentials to actually launch within a supermarket. So long story short, went round pitching this concept of the gym kitchen, fresh ready meals, ready to go to a number of different supermarkets, um, like Asda, Tesco, Morrison's, Waitrose, Ocado, everybody. Some of them kicked me out told me to just leave us alone. We're not launching your range. We're not interested. But eventually, Asda just said, you know what? We're going to give you 100 stores. We'll give you a bit of a trial. and We'll see what happens. And then um, from there, yeah, we just went into there, and it just did really, really well. Within three months, actually, the whole world turned upside down because we launched in January 2020. March 2020 was mental. Um, after, you know, kind of fighting for, like, th- good three years to get the products on shelf, next thing they're completely off shelf. I'm wondering whether I've even got a brand anymore. Yeah. customers because we built up a bit of a loyal following um, in terms of like pre-selling it to the fitness community the customers they were like oh yeah we love this brand and then it just disappears and then they're like well gosh what's happened kind of thing so we're really really kind of almost getting behind us into as to how you can get back on shelf so so yes, yeah, so a long story short that's kind of how how i got here really
0: so let's let's go back a little bit. You grew up in the East End of London, and you talked about that giving you kind of um, that confidence to speak to anyone. You had that confidence because you'd grown up in an area where you yeah, confident
1: absolutely. So I grew up in a place called Forest Gate, which was um, just outside of Stratford. Um, so this was long before you'd see any Olympics or anything like that. Um, it was not a glamorous area, had, you know. At the time, it was gun crime, gang crime, knife. Wow. All sorts of stuff, and craziness that that goes on. So, automatically, the worst thing that can happen to you is, you know, you can get injured, hurt, you know, you know, die, or go to jail or whatnot. So, from there, you're almost built with a um, like you're you're built like stone kind of thing. So, nobody say someone saying no to you absolutely doesn't mean anything because it's just like, oh, okay, fine, you said no. Whereas, you know, when you grew up in an area like that, you could actually get stabbed. That's that's the worst that could happen to you kind of thing. So you know, I took that kind of mentality and philosophy into business and into the rest of my life. In that, if somebody says no to you, if it doesn't go to plan, if it doesn't go well, that's actually not the worst thing that could actually happen. Um, you know, for some people that is the worst thing that could happen, but for me it wasn't, and that just enabled me to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. Because I think I feel like without that, you know, kind of upbringing and that growing up, I wouldn't have um, kept pushing as hard as as I did to to keep going. You know, most people quit within yeah. the first couple of no's gonna be.
0: So it's that resilience and tenacity that you would just um just keep going and going and going until somebody said yes.
1: Exactly. Hundred yeah. percent.
0: So you started your career in FMCG and you worked for Coty. Um and I think you started off with Adidas selling their deodorants. That's um, right. And I think um, what I've really loved to ask you about is you were an account manager, essentially, weren't you? Um, yep. Obviously did really well at it. What Tell us about that role and what great account management meant to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? So I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. And one of these the things about FMCG, and this is what I talk about when I share my story, and that I had no idea that it existed. So I did. Um, I went to the University of Surrey after leaving the area, and I feel like that really... Kind of almost like changed my life in a sense because you really? become a lot more aware of the different cultures that exist, the different environments that exist, um teamwork and passion. I met people that were so much, well I thought was so much smarter than me and were a lot more driven than me. But it enabled me to catch up to that smartness and that drive and that work ethic. Um so part of what they do at Coty is they not force you, but because they're so um, not at Coty, sorry, at the University of Surrey is they kind of get you to do a placement year um and you get to you get to choose but they're like real advocates of doing it yeah. so i did a placement year um, and i did a placement year at coty on adidas body spray yeah. and that's what when i did that i was actually in marketing so i started off in marketing um which was great amazing was marketing assistant worked on some really cool campaigns like south africa world cup 2020 um world cup 2010 i believe it was um and yeah it was just so exciting but what happened then is they thought this guy was so good that actually they wanna bring him back straight after uni. So I, I'd left placement year knowing that I'd got a job straight after. So then I came back, um, so they had a job for me, but they well they were like, we'll take you back into a job at the time. The job that they had for me was a, called a category analyst. Um, and this was analyzing all of the different data, creating like presentations for the sales people to go out and you know present, et cetera. And I hated that job. I literally couldn't stand it. I was like, this is like not for me at all. Um, I love, I love numbers. I love data, but doing that as your full-time job just wasn't for me, but what I could see and what the the rest of the sales team could see was this guy has got passion. He's got enthusiasm. He really wants to talk to people. So let's try and give him a sales role and like, see if he can develop there. So I then went to go and work um, within the sales team. And this is where I was managing the likes of Lloyd's pharmacy Um, Semi Chem, which is a discounter up in Scotland. And for me, it was great because, uh, you know, you ask about what does good account management look like? For me, it's all about listening. It's all about listening. It's all about working together, that, that collaborative approach on how do we both work to achieve something different? How do I challenge the company internally to go out of their way for this specific retailer? so that we can really grow with this retailer so some of the things that we did differently were like different types of gift sets etc on adidas body spray so okay. ex- exclusives you know all of that kind of fun stuff but also the transparency and if something goes wrong just having that communication you know kind of there and then so that taught me and that's where i got the good grounding and then from there you then just progress to bigger companies and um, so unfortunately i couldn't really see how far i could go within koti um, so I decided to go off and work for a company called Cal Brands, who own John Frieda. And that's where I was managing Tesco, John Frieda and Tesco. And um, that was an amazing learning experience because at the time, Tesco went through a lot of um change, a lot of different things that are changing leadership, et cetera, change in style. Um, but in the beginning, you know, it's kind of almost like really cutthroat in, you know, kind of we're pushing, they're pushing, we're pushing, they're pushing. But then you're still trying to incorporate that collaborative approach. You're still trying to incorporate that. How do we win together? You know, they were number two ah. um, in terms of like the market of professional hair care, um, in terms of yeah, the the, the the market share kind of thing. So it was really, really cool and a real learning curve. And then I just kept progressing. Um, then that's where I went to go and um manage boots for Revlon. And um then I went, then I decided actually beauty wasn't for me anymore. So I wanted to learn a bit more about startup lifestyle. So I went to go and work for a smaller company called Life Health Foods and they owned um, Up and Go an Australian breakfast drink and also a um, a gluten-free cereal called Nutribrex. Oh. And that was like super fun because it was small business. They were $100 million Aussie dollars in, um, in Australia and for them it was about trying to do the same thing over here in the UK but really throwing money at it. And then that's where I was like, actually, you know what, I- I'm having fun here but, you know, I kind of want to do it for myself. So it was back into FMCG part-time whilst building the brand part-time.
0: So before we move on to the, the conception of the gym kitchen, um- you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment around, um, you know, I'm very much from the hustle cu- culture. I'm probably called old fashioned now because I just believe hard work equals, you see it on the balance yeah. sheet, in my view. Um, were you always a hard worker? And, um, you know, you say that Cody wanted you back because you were so good. If you were trying to inspire maybe the younger generation in terms of their career and getting noticed in a world where we work remotely, so you can't put yourself in front of people yes. all the time. What would be like your tips to someone to get noticed and your work ethic tips, really?
1: Yeah, so do you know what, I, I probably do it the wrong way because I, I do work hard and I do work long, um, and and I don't really want to go around recommending that. So it's probably a, <laughs> yeah. a it's probably a work smarter kind of thing, really. And you know, do do the good things very very well, but also shout about them. You know, tell tell everybody what you've done. Right. I'm a big advocate for um for networking and reaching out to people that you don't necessarily work with. Um, that was one of the things I did really cool. And some people used to look at me, you know, kind of in other companies and be like, oh, why is he saying hello to like the MD kind of thing? But for me, like you just, you know, who are you scared of? And why are you scared of them? Everyone's yeah. like, oh, there's levels here. There's levels that there. I just don't believe in levels. I believe that everybody is exactly the same. And obviously we've got titles based on experience. That's yeah. really what it is. But I'm happy to talk to, I could talk to the CEO of this company tomorrow. And I'm more than happy to talk to, you know, kind of a junior person in the exact same way um, the the day after kind of thing. And and, and that for me is is, is really key. But then also having the ability and the willingness to learn, learn and want to grow. I think this whole self-personal development thing is a thing that obviously with all the podcasts and all the information out there, it's so easy. But we get so caught up in the day to day kind of almost rat race of. You wake up, you go to work, you come home, yeah. but you forget that there is an element of personal development that needs to be done in order for you to achieve and progress to whatever the next level looks like for you. Yeah. And then um the last thing I would say is is pick up a hobby. Um and a hobby that isn't one that you get paid to do. And the reason I say that is because it then takes you out of I the working that. world and gives you actually actual skills um it gives you skills it gives you the mindset it gives you everything you need to grow so my hobby I would say uh, playing football and also playing tennis playing football is teamwork it's winning it's losing it's uh, organization it's everything that you need in your own business it's like if you can't excel in a team sport like that you don't have to be great but if you can't excel in a team sport like that then how are you going to be able to do that in your career in your business everything like that tennis is a solo sport that's all about mindset that's all about all right, um, am I going to put myself down after hitting a bad shot or am I actually going to go, you know what, that was a mistake. This is how we rectify it. Um, You know, if I'm having lessons and I'm taking one-on-one tutorials with, with somebody who's telling me, actually, this is, you, you've got bad habits, but this is how you get them better kind of thing. And I think that taking all of those elements, doing hobbies that you love that are some, either some sort of sport or whether it's writing, whether it's creativity, do what you love, but try, I'm not saying don't go out and get paid for it, but when you get paid for something, it just becomes a job.
0: Yeah. You
1: want to do something that you love, where you can go. Actually, I learned this in this, and this is how it then translate.
0: I love that. Nobody's ever said that before on the podcast. That's brilliant. I'm um, um,
1: something new.
0: You talk about personal development. Was there a book that changed your life, or any you know brilliant books that you would recommend to people that you read?
1: Not, not really. To be honest, I mean, I listen to like podcasts and and things like that. Obviously, there's like the Seven Habits of you know kind of highly effective yeah. people there are you know mindset
0: just a reminder that the best way you can support the show is to subscribe leave us a five-star rating and a little review for what you think of our show wherever you listen to your podcast it only takes a second and may seem like a small thing but it helps us rank in the podcast charts find new listeners and reach even more amazing guests so with your review you're actually helping to improve the anything is possible show
1: there, there's there's loads of different books but I always just say it's almost like a, a search for within really and it's almost like kind of a self-evaluation what are you not good at what do you want to be better at how do you become better at that there's mm-hmm. also a, a community evaluation as well you know in terms of like can you ask your friends family networker um kind of anywhere in terms of okay what do you think are my strengths what do you think are my weaknesses whenever I interview anyone I say what do you I ask them what do your friends think about you how would your friends describe you and it always gets them thinking because they're like oh actually do you know what they'd say I'm bubbly they'd say I'm this and that that." but then I'm like okay so what would they say you need developing at? they're like I would never ask that question and you're just like actually maybe that is a question that more of us need to ask without getting offended about what the answer looks like so it's easier in a work setting than it is obviously for you know kind of friends and family type thing but it's always good to know what people think and feel about you So then you know what you believe you need to might maybe develop on.
0: Brilliant. So they always say when you're creating a a product or a business that you you fill a gap in the market. You kind of think about the problem that you're having, which you alluded to. So you were you were going to the gym, you were doing football. And personally, did you find it hard to find that quick, convenient, macro friendly meal? 100%.
1: 100%. It, it was near enough off um, challenging. So one of the things that um I wasn't is a supermarket own label consumer. So I didn't really like picking up, you know, kind of a, an own label retail and logo mill on it yeah. because I didn't trust it. So for me, it was all about how can I develop a brand? Because if, if I'm saying if they're feeling that way, then there's a lot of other people feeling that way. And one of the things that I did was actually I spent so long standing outside gyms in Harrow, in Stratford, um, in central London, asking questions on, what do you eat when you come out of the gym? What would make your life easier? What, are, what's conven- what does convenience look like to you? And 90% of people said, walking into my local supermarket and picking up something that was a fresh health brand would be the the, the number one thing for me. Some of them started talking about, you know, kind of meal prep. Some of them started talking about scratch cooking, but 90% of them said just something that's in that ready meals fixture, but actually isn't a ready one. Yeah, And that's what, so it's almost like meal prep in my soup, in my local supermarket. And that for me was the light bulb moment in, there are too many people thinking and feeling the exact same way that I am feeling that we need to, we need to try and get this out there now.
0: That's 100% right. And I said to you, that's how I found you. Um, me and my partner worked really long hours. We're often in the office till 9, 10 at night. We were looking at meal prep. It felt expensive. It felt like I wouldn't actually know what was going to arrive. What if it goes off and then I can't use it? Exactly.
1: All the, I- same, all the same recipes every every yeah. day. You know, if you're doing meal prep, it's normally chicken breast, broccoli, brown rice, same thing for seven days. Just yeah. like life should, you know, because you want to live healthier, because you want to look a certain way does not mean you should not have fun. Food I say is emotional, right? You sit down in the evening, you wanna enjoy it. You wanna, you've had a long, hard day at work. The last thing you want is something that isn't flavorsome that you had yesterday, (laughs) do you know know what I mean? Like there are some, like I say, there are some people that absolutely love it and I'm not knocking any of them. But me personally, I was not that type of shopper. I'm a shopper that wants variety, wants differentiation, wants it quick and easy so you know tonight i'm like actually okay what can i get tonight i can pop to tesco and i know that there's at least a choice of 10 probably 10 different flavors of the gym kitchen across our chilled frozen or pizzas that i could pick from nothing is the same in terms of days you know i could get a salmon linguine or i could get a um, gym kitchen chicken tikka or i might want a pizza or i might want some pouches there are so many things that you can kind of kind of go for and that that's what i set out to create
0: well, that leads us nicely on to Can you just describe the product range um, of which I've tried, I think, nearly everything, but yeah, yeah tell our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so the first things we launched were the Gym Kitchen High Protein and Ready Meals, right? So these are macro counted Ready Meals. They are high in protein, um, two of your five a day, 400 grams in, ter- in terms of portion size. And the reason we make them 400 grams and not 350 grams or smaller, um, is just simply because we wanted people to be to feel Nice and full after work, you know, kind of or lunchtime whenever you're having our meals. We do have some other pots that are about 300 grams, which are tailored to more of a lunchtime occasion or like a light snack type thing. But really and truly our core is at that 400 gram mark. So we've got that within Chilled. We then and I guess this is how the story kind of goes as well. So that was our initial launch into Asda and Chilled. We then um, the Asda buyer was like, look, I love this brand. I think you can do some really cool things across Frozen do you want to launch anything into frozen? And I was like, absolutely. You know, how can we launch frozen ready meals? Because we had our customers going. I would love to have freezer versions, which I can just take out whenever I want. I know the date code's not going off. I know that they are obviously the locked in nutrients and everything that comes with frozen because frozen is super, people don't actually realize that frozen is super fresh because it's frozen at at production kind of thing. So we then launched our frozen meals and our frozen pizzas. Frozen pizzas came about so the frozen meals are the exact same credentials as our frozen um our chilled meals but just you know different flavors flavors that kind of work really well within um uh, frozen so like lasagna etc um that kind of stuff um and then our pizzas was just a completely different concept that we really wanted to try right so you know how do you get to a, a low calorie pizza for a whole pizza so protein infused base minimum 20 grams of protein still one of your five a day without 80 grams of veg on them and all under three uh under 400 calories so really allowing people that uh, uh, that go do you know what i can't have pizza because i'm i'm you know i'm calorie counting or i'm looking to increase my protein to give them that real core solution and then the last category currently um, that we have are the the grains pouches so we almost thought okay We've done really well in children frozen um, and we're going to continue to grow and expand on that but actually cupboard staples and cupboard essentials are extremely important once again we're trying to be a lifestyle brand if you want to have something you know and you're more of a scratch cooker you want to make you know your protein so whether that's tofu whether that's chicken breast whether that's tempeh whether that's fish what could you have with it that would allow you to boost that protein so We've got a really cool, unique um, protein blend that we put within our uh, beans, pulses, lentils, pouches. We've got four flavours, so like barbecue, tikka, Moroccan um, and uh, what's the other one? Barbecue, tikka, Moroccan. Gosh, I've, I've almost forgotten that. <laughs> but so yeah, we, yeah, so many products. Yeah, but we've got four flavours. So curry puri, we've got four flavours, um, which are really cool, really exciting and um, taste great. And yeah, so they're across four categories, but we're not stopping there. And that's, that's the great thing about the gym kitchen. We, we, the name lends itself to being able to fit into so many different categories. But the thing is, for me, it's all about categories that actually make sense for us. We do not want to just launch into something for the sake of launching into it. There has to be a real need. There has to be a USP. So it might be that, you know, we're, we're our differentiation is on flavor. It might be our differentiation is on protein count, calories, bringing a new customer to the fixture, so many different ways that we can almost like bring something, something different. Um, but yeah, like I said, we're not stopping there and we've got some really exciting stuff coming later in the year.
0: And anything you can share or is it all top secret? It's
1: all top secret for now. Cause I, I know this is going to be out soon, isn't it? If we, were, <laughs> if we were closer to later on in the year, then yeah, but you'll be able to spin back and go, Oh, you told me about that.
0: Oh, amazing. So the other, I mean, the, the fact that you've got the gym kitchen, I bet when you looked that up and it was available, were you like, Oh my God, I need to get that now.
1: Oh, gosh, do you know what? Yeah. So I trademarked the name The Gym Kitchen, which was fine. But then thegymkitchen.com was taken and I reached out to the person um, and said something like, hey, would you would you be up for like selling the Gym Kitchen domain? And this was before I'd even had the idea and everything sorted. Yeah. Um, And he was like, yeah, yeah, we'll sell it to you. Um, well, I think it was like five grand or something like that. So I'm like, we don't even have like a listing. How can we do this five grand? We can't pay five grand. But eventually, I think it was like three years. And I always said to myself, if I get that gymkitchen.com domain, then I know this is supposed to happen. Yeah. So I think three years later, it was like about to expire. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, let's see what happens kind of thing. And then um, you're supposed to renew it by a certain amount of time. So didn't renew it. And I was like, okay, this is good. Let's just sit tight and wait. Didn't renew it, didn't renew it. And eventually it just got cancelled and was in the open domain. And I was like... (laughs) Get it straight away, so I think it was like 50 quid in the end. But imagine that going from five grand to 50 quid, just because the person, I think it was an Australian person, just didn't need it anymore, didn't use it anymore, kind of thing, had registered it ages ago. So got the domain. And when I got the domain, that's when I was like, This is much you know when you think the stars of the line, this is supposed to be, this is kind of yeah, absolutely meant to be.
0: Wow, down. and what I also love, um, I'm just gonna show up for the YouTube what she so, said. You really thought about the brand, didn't you, and the packaging in terms of diversity across the people featured, but then also 100%. really easy to look at the packaging without going on the back and looking at the macros and the calories. Do you want to talk us through that? Because it is so fun.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So so we initially launched it um, in some packaging, which was just functional. So it just kind of had um, uh, just had some drawings on it in terms of like the individual. So a cyclist, but you couldn't really see them. Um, and then it just had it was more functional. So it just had the protein, the calories, et cetera. So I then um kind of almost put out like a bit of a tender to um a few design agencies. And this design agency came to me. Um, they'd never done food before, but I'm i I'm a real people person, and you know, I get some good vibes from people, and they just, you know, I kind of just clicked and connected with them. So and I said, what we and this were when we met them, we were only in chilled meals. And my concern with us just being in chilled meals was that the branding that we had would not translate into all of these different categories and different um, areas that we really wanted to create. So I said to them, I need a branding that's translatable to everywhere and everyone. Um, and so, so then um, unfortunately, obviously the the tragic merger of George Floyd almost sparked that diversity conversation as well. So I was like, as a black founder, I want this brand to be super inclusive. I want there to be black people on there. I want it to be white people on there. I want it to be multicultural on there. I want there to be so many different sports on there. And people actually don't realise and recognise it until you actually look that closely. But it really is inclusive. And then I was like, how do we then use colour to really scream about our credentials, you know, in terms of having the macros front of pack on the, or on the side of pack, making it easier? Even in the description of the name, you know, being macro counted, there's a scientific element to that. You know, it really is just taking what's normally a just, a, just old school traditional thinking and insert it into the branding to become that whole holistic lifestyle branding that people can go, hey, I shop, eat and breathe the gym kitchen. You know, my desserts are 20 grams of protein, this calories, this thing, or my pizzas are this, this and this, that and so on. So, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at
0: oh i love it and all the different like obviously that pizza's orange this is red it it really does look stunning um so that leads us on to um you talking about it you wanted to show diversity and uh, as we were talking before in my research i didn't realize a how few black founded FMCG businesses there are but how few are actually in with the major retailers can you talk to us about that as a discussion point
1: yeah absolutely so once again, um, when George Floyd was murdered, that's the only time I actually started to realise that actually there's a, probably a big issue. So I'd always faced discrimination and kind of almost like racism within, you know, within the FMCG world, just, you know, kind of inadvertently type thing. But um, I'd never taken it that seriously because I'd always gone to myself that there always has to be one person that goes through this in order for everybody else to be like, actually, you know, kind of not accepted, but for them to go, actually, all oh, right, this is wrong. Pave the way for the next person kind of thing but when i you know obviously started developing the business a bit more and more and more i actually started to get into rooms where they're like actually you know did you know that you're one of you know kind of five black owned brands that's listed in major retails and i'm like actually no i didn't (laughs) but i can tell that i i am because i don't see any black faces etc you know when i'm going to these meetings etc um did you know that you know kind of less than one percent of vc funding um, goes to black founders Um, so imagine that that's black founders as an overall so that's going to be even lower for black FMCG founders you know you're probably talking like 0.1 something percent or something like that yeah. so the crazy figures start and, and once again it, it it goes back to um our upbringing we don't we didn't know about FMCG most of us are kind of first second generation type thing we don't have the investment there the connections there the networks there to be able to fund a project you know a project that might fail you know no one was gonna when i was growing up was gonna give me 30 as to pat him on the back go off give it a good try and if it doesn't work it doesn't work absolutely not you know and then you try and go to banks or or somewhere like that and unfortunately you know it's, it's a similar message in you probably have to have an asset or collateral to be able to put up against it and obviously once again you wouldn't have that because, you know, the parents are, yeah, I've just come here in the 60s and are trying to build a life and trying to, you know, give you a better life type thing as opposed to, as opposed to have been here before and had, you know, kind of almost like money passed down or opportunities to connect and build wealth and grow, etc. And that's why it's always a challenge in this whole diverse space. So it goes way, way back. But for me now, it's about, okay, how do we use the resources that we've got currently today? to really level the playing field in, you know, in, in that through, you know, kind of retailer incubators in in terms of pushing some of these VC firms to go, actually, you have to commit a certain amount of funding to VC companies. Um, There are some black-owned VC companies that have set up themselves to go, actually, we're going to um, fund diverse, you know, kind of individuals. So Cornerstone Partners, for instance. Then you've got people like Sam Akinlui at um, AdSalt, who the founder at AdSalt was. And he was like, actually, this is this is really bad, you know, how do we change this? And he he was previously the, um, I think, sales director at Nestle, now is the MD at Innocent, um, and he's like a real leader of this AdSalt thing, which is a charity which helps black-owned brands on an incubator scheme get some money, but also learn the skills and get the platforms to go and present to retailers as anybody else would kind of thing. So, so yeah, so there's a long way to go, but um, so many different bits happening to try and bring everything together.
0: Wow. And so I think with that, you've then decided to use your platform to to try and make this better and inspire other other people. And you're working with IRI and Tesco's p- um, project, if not now. When can you talk a bit about those for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that was in an article um, uh, previously. So Tesco have got um, a black action plan, which is they uh, obviously once again stemmed by the George Floyd murder on how do they make um how do they make their Tesco a more diverse kind of retailer? And that is through communities. That is through working with black suppliers. That is also through supporting black colleagues, et cetera. Um, It is really, really key. And obviously as one of those, you know, kind of, I I used to work at Tesco um, in finance ages ago as my first internship. Um, So, you know, kind of got a love there. Um, But also we're obviously a supplier to Tesco as well. So being one of the black suppliers, I really wanted to help them, you know, kind of wherever they needed help in terms of, is it, uh, you know, kind of information? Is it support? Is it sharing my journey? What is it that you need to help? And I'm open to helping everybody and any retailers that kind of want my help uh, or my knowledge or my understanding on what we kind of go through. So so that that's kind of where it's at. But then obviously you've got the likes of Sainsbury's who developed a program called Thrive. Um, and Thrive was also about um, giving 10 black businesses a chance and an opportunity to try and launch, you know, kind of a brand, um, into retail and I think they're going to launch three then you've got the co-op apiary, um as well who uh, um, that's a small business incubator run by um, the team there and for them they've committed 25% of the places on the Apery to diverse schemes so once again it's great that all of the retailers and I'm sure there are more um, but I may just not know about them but I'm sure that there are more that are going on um, but it's great to see that there's an, obviously a great opportunity there and then I Selfridges um, kind of the selfridges buyer, he's a black guy and he really is open to um to ensuring that there are diverse businesses um within within his portfolio or at least connecting them to the right people that can help.
0: That's fascinating. Um yeah and we met we also met through the co-op as well and I do I know they do a lot for smaller businesses and incubator businesses. Yep. So the journey to get it on the shelves was you were tenacious, you were going into the major retailers. So where does Jim Kitchen sit now online and in store?
1: So, yeah, we're in Asda, we're in Tesco, we're in Morrisons, Ocado and Co-op. And then we're also in Dunn's in Ireland. Um, In terms of online, it's obviously all with all of those online retailers. But, um, yeah, we've got so many bigger plans to do export direct to consumer. You know, we're looking at how do we get more gym kitchen products into more people's hands. And even though I list all of those retailers, we still have product categories that aren't in some of those retailers. And obviously we've got a retailer that's missing as well in Sainsbury's. We don't do anything with Sainsbury's and would love to work with them, of course.
0: on well, Sainsbury's.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, well, like I say, so for instance, our pizzas aren't in uh, Morrisons, you know, our pouches aren't in uh, Tesco for instance. So we're working on the gaps that we do have to make healthy eating more accessible, affordable, but most importantly, tasty.
0: And we talked about investment before, so eventually you did meet a business partner, is that right? Who that invested. is right, yeah. So you've got the concept, you've got the idea. How does it then grow into something that is on the shelves?
1: Yeah, so I met this guy called Wilfred Emanuel Jones. He's also known as the Black Farmer. Um, and I've seen him speak. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy guy. You won't mind me saying that. Um, but yeah, so I, I met him years and years ago, um, and I actually pitched this idea to him and actually said, I would love to just kind of get your just your insight on how to create a brand. Because once again, familiarity, right? I saw someone that looked like me that was actually going around and doing, you know, kind of selling into retailers, working with the retailers, et cetera. So I just wanted to know a bit more. And that bit more turned into me going and working for him as his head of sales part-time, whilst I also built the gym kitchen part-time, whilst he invested initially in the you know, kind of uh, artwork and um, website and everything you need to get the brand up and running. And then it was a, he's created this kind of incubator now, which is called the Hatchery, where new brands come to him with fantastic ideas. So another brand which you may be familiar with is Smorgasbord. Um So it's a meatballs brand which is available in Sainsbury's and ASDA. And the whole idea of the Hatchery is everybody's kind of almost like sharing resources, um, utilizing our networks, um, leaning off of each other, etc. Um, but with the whole aim that, you know, can you kind of fly off and, and create this this game changing brand that just does things that, you know, you wouldn't have thought or you wouldn't have been able to do by yourself. And it was great. There was another black person that was like, actually, I understand this guy. I want to give him a chance, give him an opportunity and then kind of go off and fly that way.
0: And is he still involved in the business?
1: Yeah, yeah. Still very, app- still very much involved in everything that yeah. goes on.
0: And will you need more investment to expand or are
1: you in a position now where you're Yeah, I mean, you're always open to different opportunities, right? So if we really want to go big and hard, obviously investment is great. um, But, you know, we're, we're kind of just managing it as it is with different types of working capital models, et cetera. So, yeah, but, you know, you never say never say no to investment. We might, you know, we might raise some big money at some point. You just never know, really.
0: And in terms of marketing, so um, what, you on the shelves, but um, has social media been important to you? Has sampling, experiential events? How have you got the message out there?
1: Yeah, so that is probably the biggest part of launching an FMCG brand. Do not think that you're going to put products on the shelf and they're just going to like fly off the shelf. It just doesn't work like that. Um, part of what I did very, very well was did the pre-selling. So five years before I'd even launched the product on shelf, We'd already had the social media set up. We'd already, I was going around doing interviews with like personal trainers, nutritionists um, on YouTube, just getting their thoughts, building a bit of a following, building a bit of a community and almost like bringing them on the journey. So we had a nice pool of shoppers who would help spread the message. Then when you get on shelf, it's then about, you know kind of actually what do you do to kind of get it selling? So that's paid social media ads. We've done some outdoor campaigns we're in those health and wellness magazines um all of the different ones so men's health women's health um yeah everything like that we've got a pr manager who helps continue to spread the word in terms of getting the message out there um we're in different groups like you know th- there are these weight watchers and slim world type groups that exist so for us we go in there and we communicate the benefits of our you know what we do um and how it's different so you know personal trainers nutritionists and um, we've been at events so like balance festival we've done some retailer head office events so the list goes on because what you've got to do is always continue to ensure that you know you are really continuing to market the brand and market the brand and market the brand because that's the only way you're going to get new shoppers and that's the only way you're going to grow and it's working so far and yeah we, we want to do we want to go big and bolder and that's why I talk about investments to you because you know we'd love to be on tv one at uh, one at some point you know we are looking at you know kind of video on demand and all those kind of new channels that exist how do we utilize the likes of tiktok and you know kind of all of that kind of stuff but what we do want to do and we do want to ensure that we've got is when we go even bigger is have a model set up where we're in as many places as possible so that it's not wasted money do you see what i mean so that actually you know a customer goes oh just saw the gym kitchen i can literally pop into a store just there and pick the brand up and that tends to be the hardest bit in terms of making sure that you get the best bang for your buck in is your distribution strong enough to be able to for a customer just to be able to pick us up
0: yeah yeah and in the team now you mentioned you've got a PR manager so how many people are in the team outside manufacturing and what are
1: those yeah jobs? so probably about six um but then like I say we've got the um, external factory team as well so um, wilfred has got a team of like 20 people so it really is a a full shared resource thing in terms of we've got our own people but then we've got the hatchery people so it's really cool and really exciting because it just enables us to grow quickly
0: and as founder and entrepreneur I'm always fascinated on how you spend your time um can you tell us a typical week including your hobby and your free time and everything like that
1: oh gosh that is really hard because there are there isn't a no. week that is the same so I guess um if I use this week as an example, yeah. um. So, yeah, I guess Monday was all about, you know, the first thing you check the sales, see how you did last week, et cetera. See what's up, what's down. Is there a reason why? Um, do a bit of store store check, store visits. Some retailers would have just launched new ranges. So do a bit of a sweep there. We we'll then have the team meetings and some one-to-ones to catch up on, okay, what's everyone's priorities for like the week ahead, et cetera. Um, we'll look at the marketing plan. We'll look at social media as to, okay are, are we doing well what are the what have customers been saying over the last week what kind of numbers have we hit etc um we're currently on a photo shoot for some npd so i di- literally dipped off um that's why i was 15 minutes late and now i'm going to dip back on and we're doing it virtually via teams this is shooting the products um for some new packaging um chatting to the different buyers making sure that they're happy looking at and working out different opportunities with them. We might be arranging some samples. So someone in the team might be arranging some samples for someone to go to somewhere. So many different things. And this is why I say it's crazy. But what I tend to do is um gym in the morning, um, mm-hmm. gym in the mornings. And then it will be if I don't go to the gym that morning, it then be sport in the evening. So Monday tends to be football. Um Tuesday tends to be the gym, same with Wednesday, Thursday a bit of a kind of rest sometimes. Friday may potentially do a bit of sport depending on what it is saturday morning's tennis and then kind of we go again really
0: and do you have time to yourself at the weekends
1: um sometimes all depends really yeah i try and spend some time with my wife on the weekends because otherwise yeah. she'll hate me <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um have you got any like ambassadors or influencers that you work with that we would know
1: not not that you would know because what we tend to do is we tend to work with micro influencers yeah. um with the because we work with micro influencers because they absolutely love the brand and they, you know, kind of are authentic. So what what this brand is about is it's an authentic brand, right? It's a brand that I built out of frustration. So we will work with some of the bigger influencers maybe at some point, but there has to be an authenticity to them. And they're not just getting paid to hold a product up and to say, hey, go find the gym kitchen. We want someone that's been having the gym kitchen for weeks on, on end and have gone, Do you know what, this has helped me changed my life, thank you so much. And then we can work with them on, you know, kind of whether it's paid partnerships or or whatever that looks like, because there's an authenticity yeah. to them and the messaging is right, you know. Uh, that's what I believe is is the key.
0: Yeah, and for the future, are there any dream partnerships or collaborations if anything was possible?
1: Oh gosh, I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, it's it's one that our, our marketing person is, is looking at. So yeah, for, for me, dream partnerships, don't know. It's don't really know. really tough. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Dream because it cause it's like dream it has to be big, super out there, doesn't it?
0: Really? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, you let us know if I'll you... let you I'll let you know
1: if I I'll let you know if I can think of one.
0: And you're only 35, um, three years into the official launch of the brand. Um, I get the sense that you will have other dreams and other plans. Is Jim, do, do you think there's another brand that you would want to create? Is there any other, you know, gap in the market you feel needs filling?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, I'm absolutely a brand creator. You know, I want to work with retailers on creating new and exciting brands. Obviously, at the at the moment, you know, the focus really is on on the gym kitchen. But there are always opportunities. You know, there's there's obviously the plant based areas. The plant based space is there something that can be done there? Um, the non alcoholic world. So I've reduced my drinking intake. Um, do I like the options out there? Not too sure. It's the same thing that I say with plants. You know, kind of almost like plant-based how do we have more vegetables etc so so yeah there are always things that i would love to create you know maybe even outside of fmcg um in clothing and yeah but that's like i don't know 10 years time kind of thing maybe maybe, maybe. but for now yeah the, the gym gym kitchen is where it's all at
0: and as we come to the end of the podcast and um, you come across as such a positive person and even doing my research and listening to you i really got that vibe from you do you have any down days are there things that bother you
1: yeah, absolutely. You know, we have down days all the time. So something always goes wrong. But for me, it's always about, okay, this is going to happen anyway. It's never all going to be positive and all going to go right. But how quickly can you get over that? And how quickly can you focus more on the happier side than on the sad side? Because the sad side doesn't actually bring solutions. Um, It actually it's only the positive side that helps you to think about solutions so one of my sayings is positive vibes only all all the time because we just want to you know kind of crack on with, with what we need to do and not focus too much on that
0: yeah and you're leading a business with purpose I feel um and you've and all the work that you're doing for diversity outside and around the gym kitchen in one of our episodes, which was with the late Jacqueline Gold, who was the founder of Ann Summers, she talked about and um, the businesses that stand out are the ones with purpose. And it's so important to network and be involved in your industry. Um, have you got any advice to somebody just starting out? Maybe they work for a brand, not have their own company. How to get involved in stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I guess it, it it depends on what you want as a person. And that's why I say, first of all, spend time to jot down what is it that you want to achieve? What, is, what do you think is your purpose? Um, and then how does that align to, you know, kind of the next steps? Because then that will enable you to actually find the people that are going to help you out. So I'm just going to give you an example, you know. Is sustainability your thing? Because then, and and what type of sustainability? Is it sustainability within, um, you know, kind of plastic reduction, bedding or something like that? Because then you can actually go and find someone that actually does that and learn from them. That's why I say that. So that's the key thing is actually finding and identifying What's important to me, and and also, but you may be the person to be able to create that. There's so many people within organisations right currently, which have gone diversity and inclusion is super important. So they're like, okay, I'll be the diversity and inclusion manager, and then progress to diversity and inclusion boss, etc. This is a brand new role that's just come about. Once again, it's personal need. It's that drive. It's that passion from within you that enables you to go off and want to do that.
0: Yes, such good advice. Um, so as we come to the end of the podcast, um, it's called the Anything is Possible podcast. What does Anything is Possible mean to you?
1: So Anything is Possible means to me is that the, the basically the sky has no limits. You know, you, you can do as much as your mind can achieve. Um, don't set limitations on yourself. Go for it. And if it doesn't work, it's fine because nobody, hardly any people remember what doesn't work. They actually remember what does work. Uh, and I can guarantee you that because we've had a lot of products that were well, not a lot of products but we've had some products that have bombed and no one's asked where where are they kind of thing so <laughs> so yeah those few products that, that that didn't work you know it's like where are they you just fell fast is is a thing as well fell very fast I fell
0: fast I love that. Oh, listen, it's such a pleasure to get to know the person behind the brand. And genuinely, as you know, I am a consumer of your products. I absolutely love them. And just for our audience, you know, like like you said, the frozen meals, if you get home late from work, you don't even need to think about defrosting them. You can have them in the fridge. And I haven't tried this yet, but I'm trying the pizza tonight. So I'll be showing Brilliant. that on my Instagram. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us and good luck with everything for the future.
1: No, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. back.
0: Just a reminder that the best way you can support the show is to subscribe, leave us a five-star rating and a little review for what you think of our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. It only takes a second and may seem like a small thing, but it helps us rank in the podcast charts, find new listeners and reach even more amazing guests. So with your review, you're actually helping to improve the Anything Is Possible show. (laughs)